Okay, Google, play the Sideline Hustle podcast. Sure, the Sideline Hustle football podcast. Here's where you left off. What's going on, everybody? This is your host, Drew Lieberman. I'm slow packing. <laughs> Our days here are numbered. Even the way we've come up in the world, think about it. We've created the website ourselves. We've made this podcast ourselves. Like everything's been done just by us hustling. And you are now listening to the Sideline Hustle Podcast. We talk about doing this show. Yeah, we, we laugh and we joke and we complain about how hard we work. But if we didn't love to coach, we wouldn't be doing it. I want the good guys in. Get them out of there. I want the good guys in. To me, I think we're broadcasting the day-to-day life of what college football is. From the sidelines, we gotta hustle cause we gotta eat. From the sidelines, we got some goals that we still gotta reach. With going through a pro day, having all those eyes on you, it's a, a million dollar interview. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you gotta In stick pro, it. Yeah, right, you, it's a one, one chance. Yeah. Welcome back. Oh, yeah, man, how you doing? You good? I know you like that. I know you like that. What up, gang? It's great to be back with you guys in the Sideline Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lieberman, and let's get right into it. In episode 19 of the Sideline Hustle podcast, we bring everybody up to speed on the off-season lives for players and coaches. And we have the help of some new guests joining us for the first time, former Arizona State legendary wide receiver, a nine-year NFL veteran, and now an offensive analyst back at his alma mater under head coach Herm Edwards, Derek Hagan is on the show with us today, as well as two of my good friends and former players, Anthony Chaffee, a former Rutgers safety who recently signed a CFL contract with the Ottawa Redblacks, and Kevin Snyder, a former Rutgers linebacker and three-year NFL veteran, most recently with the Arizona Cardinals and Denver Broncos. Today on the show, we will talk about preparing for the NFL draft, the pressure of a pro day tryout, and the different training regimens that NFL players use in the offseason. After that, former Maryland head coach Ralph Friedgen gives us some great insight about the nuances of the recruiting world and shares his strategy for evaluating players. Here is episode 19. This is Derek Hagan, Arizona State legend, an all-time leader in career receptions and receiving touchdowns, a nine-year NFL veteran drafted in the third round by the Miami Dolphins in 2006, and later played for the Giants, Raiders, Bills, Buccaneers, and Titans before retiring in 2014. After spending a few years as a TV personality back at Arizona State, he has recently been hired by head coach Herm Edwards as an offensive analyst coach at his alma mater. I think... You know, for me, it was I got away. You know, I went down to Bradenton, Florida, down to those I, down to the IMG Academy, and that was your first move. Like, like pretty much right after your last game, senior year, you're you're pretty much right down to IMG training. Yeah, I went straight down to IMG, and you know, training with those uh, with the people down there. You know, I felt like they did a pretty good job and and, and got me ready to go. Uh, you know, we were down there for like you know probably for about a month and a half. Uh, 
you know, getting ready for the, uh, the combine and all that. And, you know, it was a lot of training just, you know, you know, you go from being in class, you know, at, at Arizona State to not going to class no more. You know, mm-hmm. Now you're just going to train every day trying to, you know, change your life and 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 get ready for that combine and stuff. Uh, you know, just being down to training, working on speed, working on, you know, route running, different techniques of, you know, how the NFL functions. And uh, they, they, they taught us a whole lot. But it was it was a lot going on in between. But, uh, you know, just when I think back on it, you know, obviously all that stuff. You know, you do it for a reason when, you know, at that age, I really didn't understand too much, you know, before the combine and stuff came yeah. up. Would you do anything differently looking back as far as preparing for the draft or handle that that period better? <laughs> that period, I would say I would not. I wouldn't have participated in the senior bowl. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have done <laughs> right, anything fair, fair the enough. combine. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing these guys now because it's, it's like, you know, my numbers had, had spoke for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had all the numbers, uh, you know, I had plenty of game tape, but I think for me, you know, I didn't have to go to the senior bowl. I just wanted to prove a point because it, it was that year as myself and uh, Santonio Holmes as, you know, considered the top two receivers, you know, coming out of that draft. And right. he was only he was only a junior. And I was like, no, nah, I'm better than him. I'm going to yeah, go to yeah. the point. But, you know, I go to the senior bowl and I, I lay an egg. You know, mm-hmm. I had some good days and bad days. And then that translated over to the combine because what they really wanted to see was how fast I was. I didn't have to go out there and do all that stuff. Now you see all these guys, you know, if they're considered a first round pick, they're not participating in doing nothing at the combine. You know, they don't want to hurt the draft stock and they're mm-hmm. still getting, you know, drafted in the first round. So, you know, I went from being projected as a first pick at wide out to, you know, going in the third round, which, you know, obviously sucked, but that's, it was a long wait. Yeah, no doubt. I <laughs> can that's imagine. that's the only thing I would do different. I wouldn't participate in the senior bowl or or maybe the senior. It was fun, but just, just thinking about how much it hurt, hurt my uh, draft, draft stock, stock when, yeah. when I was just, you know, not performing well, you know, in front of all the scouts and stuff. No, and that is really interesting because there are some guys who are required, have to go compete at that level and on that stage to get the notoriety. But someone like you who proved themselves – you know, having the, you ended with three of the best years in Arizona State history, like, like you said, your number spoke for itself, and that you know, and and it's and it's something that as a coach you're kind of like, word, I respect that. Like, yeah, go prove your point, like go play ball, because you know you hate the guys that sat out all these, sit out of the bowl games and don't participate with their teams, and how that culture is kind of building. Like, it's kind of refreshing to be like, man, here's a kid hungry enough to prove his point, but then when it doesn't go your way, it's 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 you know probably pretty tough to swallow. Yeah, exactly. It was, and you know, I, I mean, obviously, I think about think about that now but at that time i wasn't paying too much attention to it because you mm-hmm. see what's how going on now like you said kids are sitting out and not playing in bowl games it was like what we got a bowl game i'm playing it doesn't matter yeah right right exactly. worried about, about getting hurt or anything like that but there's a lot of money riding on the line now so it's even though back then there was too but it's just mm-hmm. it's just totally different now yeah no doubt So, so talk to me about kind of like the pro day experience. Mm-hmm. So you went through pro day yep. right after you graduated, um, obviously went through this process, then just recently went back to pro day to show out for the scouts again. Right. Like, kind of talk to me about that decision, mm-hmm. like doing it again and kind of what the experience is like mm-hmm. in general. So going back to my first pro day, I trained in Atlanta, Georgia with Chip Smith. Hey, this is Anthony Chaffee, former Rutgers safety and cornerback and also former Raiders safety. He was a great guy who really taught me a lot about the business side of the NFL and um, training 
what you have to do, what you have to invest in your body and all right, of that. Right. So going through it, my first pro day, it was I was really nervous. It was something where I felt like I had to overperform. Mm. And, you know, like this is my only shot to perform yeah, right. in front of all these scouts. Right. And like, when am I going to get an opportunity like this again? Yeah. Um, I didn't have a very good pro day. I didn't run what I was supposed to run. Mm. Um, I kind of did all right. I did very well in the drills, though. So that's something that really helped me out. And as, far, and as far as the drills, that's like cone drills and ball drills and yes, stuff like that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's something where I kind of solidified my... my your athletic, athletic ability, your talent, like exactly. coordination. Like, that's the thing is like, I think, personally, mm -hmm. I think 40s are overrated. Right. Especially like, you the best receiver of all time, Jerry Rice, like a 4-7. Right. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Like, I think so much more of it is like your ability to be a football player. And right. That stuff shows it more. 100%. I think that with going through a pro day, like having having all those eyes on you yeah. could really, you know, it, it shows a lot about yourself because like it's a, a million dollar interview mm -hmm. and it's like you got to stick front, it. Yeah, right. You, it's a one one chance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was able to get another chance. Right. So you could speak to your uh, college coach. You could um, be eligible for another year after. Mm -hmm. But it's all it all depends on the the college and the school. Oh, so any so school I, would have the right to say to tell you no. Yeah, so I oh. asked Ash right. personally if he if he could allow me to go back, then I spoke to coach Parker. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of some people were denied. If you're out of the game a couple years, like they there's like different, you know, right. intangibles that they'll there, there's nothing in it for the school to allow you to come back if you, right. you have no shot. Yeah. And they they it's it's cutthroat like that, yeah. and and they understand it. And people sometimes they get a little hurt, but you have to understand that they have to do it in like because it's, for them it's too. Rutgers' product too, where it's yeah. like they they're putting their product there. Yep. For, they want it to be worthwhile for all the scouts, and mm -hmm. they have a bunch of guys who are six years, five years, four years removed from playing. It's tough. They're just there for charity. It's like, well, why are we coming to Rutgers to watch all these bombs? Right. So they gotta they gotta kind of take care of their product on their mm -hmm. end. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Bubble actually this year was part of a collapse because we had that terrible snowstorm. Oh, wow, that was right before. Right before the really? day before of pro day. Wow. So now it's like people are scrambling. Shoot, what's gonna go on? We're gonna have it outside. Yeah. We gotta deal with the cold weather now. Wow. They switched it to the Jets facility. So in, in, the end of the practice. Facility. The practice wow. facility. But it was freezing. It was like 40 to. 45 degrees but i knew because i had a local day there so i had a local mm -hmm. day there after um, my pro day okay. i got invited which is like and a tryout type thing yeah with for the jets person mm -hmm. yeah. so it was the jets giants and eagles okay, i got cool. invited to the jets indoor was so cold and i'm like man it's like april there it's billion dollar you know team like <laughs> what's going on with this facility <laughs> They're like, oh, it's just poor heating. Uh, you, it's all right. Just, just get it a little extra warmer. I'm like, man, I need a winter jacket in here. And it's an indoor. <laughs> it's colder in here than outside. So we we switched it there. Um, and you were prepared that way. I was prepared. So I told, I texted everybody in the group chat. I was like, listen, guys, it's gonna be cold. Dress up, just warm. Have your leggings. Do what you got to do. That's it. That, that's dope that you give them that. Up. Yeah, because that it's it play place tricks with your mind yeah, sure. you go in and it's like sure. you'll be sweating warming up and then all of a sudden you take it off you take off your shirt you go in your your compressions and then it's, it's like it's wow freezing. i'm dry yeah, i'm, I'm right. dry right. that cold sweater on me is is terrible yeah people if you don't prepare for it the day before it's it's gonna catch up yeah, to you no, no question even atomic bomb and stuff rubbing it on your body yeah. being able to stay warm that way too that's crazy but 
a lot, a lot of guys weren't happy with numbers, but that's it's being able to switch the script and like, okay, you're you're hit with adversity, you're hit mm -hmm. with something. Right. Now, what are you gonna do? Are right. you gonna have a pity party? You're gonna be like, listen, man, why can't we have that test that's better? Yeah, or let's yeah. do it. Um, let's find another right, right. indoor. Any, any, but like, you just gotta deal with the. You have to deal with your circumstance. process like you went through the draft didn't get drafted like how, how did that period go when you eventually end up getting signed mm -hmm. so during the draft um i was getting phone calls mm -hmm. just explaining that they did show interest in me um so i got a phone calls from houston the 49ers and oakland towards the end of the sixth round um, Oakland was saying that they had a draft pick left, but they didn't know who they were going to use it on, but they know it was going to be a guy who's a defensive back. Uh -huh. So I told my agent that, didn't think much of it, you know, because at the end of the day, it's a business. Right. So during that time, you're just waiting and waiting. You're, you're seeing people get rattled off. And me, I, I knew my situation. I won't lie to myself ever. And I understood that my draft grade was from seventh to undrafted, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. So... My thing was, when I get this phone call, I really have to pay attention to what teams are, you know, offering me because that could offer interest too. Actually, the 49ers called me and offered me something else than they called someone else in my agency. So we had two safeties oh. in my agency. He called me right away, said, I'll offer you $1,000 to sign with us. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, let me think about it. Speak it to Oakland right now. Mm -hmm. Then he called another agent in the agency who was rep with a, who had a safety under safety, him. Right. Yeah. Yep said, listen, we're going to give him 40, 000, a $40,000 signing bonus. And once he arrives, he'll get another 5000 And they were and, only offering, offering you 1000 Yes. So That's they crazy. only offered me 1000 And the thing was, he didn't know that we were in the same agency. So he was kind of rushing off, rushing my agent off the phone to get on the phone with another agent in the same agency to kind of say, listen, we want to give your player a little yeah, more. Yeah. And that's more incentive to come. You know what I mean? Right, that's for sure. That's okay, at that point, like you, so when you're a free agent, you kind of hold the power if you got multiple people yes. offering you. Yeah. So being able to be a free agent is a lot better than getting drafted in the seventh round. Mm -hmm. That's because you can't pick where you want to go. You can't pick your situation right. because I was blessed enough to say, okay, they brought in three undrafted free agents mm -hmm. and they were, they told me they were going to be able to keep one of them out of the yeah, three. Yeah, yeah, so 33% okay. chance, yeah. I'm taking that. Yeah, In no. my mind, I'm beating out those two guys doing what I have to do to get on the team. No Instead of that, they kept four safeties and cut all three undrafted guys. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Explain to me what it's like, like this time of year now. So you, you know, you've gotten cut. You're kind of looking for a job. What's like your day to day process? What, how is this all gonna come together for you? You hope. Really, my my day to day now. I, I usually I try to sleep in as best I can until like nine o'clock. This is Kevin Snyder, former Rutgers linebacker and a three year NFL veteran that has included stops in Detroit, San Francisco, New England, Denver, and Arizona. Make sure you get body rest. I'm big into the rest in the off season. I'm yeah. not trying to wake up real early or do anything. Um, cause this is the time to do it. Right. And then I, you know, I, I make myself breakfast. I go to the gym for maybe two hours, get my run in, get all the lift in, come back, make myself lunch. Cause I don't do any of that meal prep stuff. I can make my own stuff. That's easy. <laughs> I need a way to fill my day anyway. <laughs> and then you know, I work on my football stuff. I'm currently taking one class. Oh, cool. Oh, cause so, you, you, cause you, you probably started training for the draft right after the season. So, didn't get the <laughs> Yeah. I actually failed one of my classes. Wow. I thought, so 
but uh, yeah, the dude didn't give me any love because I was driving back and forth. Yeah. And so I have to finish like three classes. So I'm doing one and then I'll have to take two at some other time. So I'll work on that. I'll work on my football stuff and then I'll start making dinner. My girlfriend comes home. We eat. Yeah. And that's about the end of the day. I just think that's gonna be really interesting to people. Like it's a normal ass day, you know, like, like yeah. you're an NFL player. And I, I just, like that's been one, one, been one of my big goals is like to, to humanize the whole football business. Cause like I said, like I came in it more like a fan, like I was a D3 player and I come here, I'm like, yo, all these guys are regular guys. Like they're good people just like me. They just happen to have a, a more athletic talent than me. You know what I mean? Like it's not yeah. like, but people can't see it that way. Cause they see everyone on TV. They see everyone on sports center and think that like, you know, they must be different than me. It's like, no, like they just have their skill is, is athletic. But like, other than that, there's normal, like cool dudes. And I want to, I want to kind of bring that to the whole, whole profession. And that's kind of thing too, is you, you get, especially when it comes to going to the gym, it, it's such an interesting thing because obviously the gym is just ultra macho, especially if you go to like an LA fitness or a crunch fitness or yeah. any time, whatever it's, it's so macho. And I walk in there and you know, I don't wear the, the muscle shirts. This is literally like what I wear to the gym. Yeah. Like I'll wear like a sweatshirt and sweatpants and I'm over there doing all my things and people walk by me and they're just like, they laugh at me and like, you know, these dudes, they'll, they'll like laugh and they'll be like, man, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> or like you know this guy doesn't know how to work out so and then i'll i'll have to go over there and i'll i have to do whatever they're doing and i'll and i'll do more weight than them or whatever it is and they're like these big buff dudes right and they just and then they look at me sideways but the thing is it's the guys that usually come by and they're like man like, what are you doing there that's so interesting those are the guys that they find out who you are and then like they work out with you and they yeah. want to and they want to be cool so that's the guys i work out with there's a couple of them that like i just started just talking to a little bit and then they're like wow man like you're you're like just a normal guy like that's cool and i <laughs> yeah. lift them every day now that's really cool that's awesome yeah and i and the other thing is i help them because i i take a huge like amount of time and i do a lot of research on mm -hmm. and when i say research i mean like the real like, see that's really like, cool you're talking about you don't have a trainer but you're doing it's not you're just working out like you're doing all this work yourself which is awesome yeah yeah, yeah like i do all the research on biomechanics on on how the how the muscle of the body work how different things work and then i take what i've learned from other places i mean i i worked out with some of the best in the world i mean i worked out in denver their trainer a lot of trainers sometimes in the nfl i don't know they can be just like buddy jobs like okay mm -hmm. you can take this job but the guy in denver luke richardson i think he was the guy who started exos mm -hmm for draft prep or it was before Exos was even a thing. He was he was there at the start of that. So he has a certain way of doing things that's totally different than anything I've ever seen. And I had the guy, I worked out for my pro day and in my first year in the league, I worked out with the guy who trained James Harrison. It was Steve Saunders. Mm -hmm. um, if you've ever seen the James Harrison videos of him, like They're before crazy. he started doing the crazy, when he, like back in the day when he was uh, like the defensive player of the year, he would work out with him. So I, I got a totally different experience there different experience in Detroit, you know, all these other places. And then, you know, I do my own research and I, and I learn other stuff and it's just, it, you can kind of put it together and then you can kind of learn it and teach it yourself. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and do and do like you, you were saying like do exactly what fits for you correct yeah yeah take little things from everybody think because and for me it's always especially coming from college it was shoulders and like my glute muscles and mm. that was my biggest thing so if i go to the gym and i just do like accessory work for my shoulders and my glutes i could be good for the day yeah. and i would be a better player after it i would so even have to get under the squat bar yeah it's so interesting so that yeah so i mean i was just i was trying to help the dudes out today i was trying i was, I was teaching them the biomechanics of doing the tricep work so i'm always trying to trying to get better in some way some guys after a long season they take a while and then they'll go into doing like training with like their trainer that they they always have trained with but i I know what to do kind of and it's one of those things where for the four months right now it's not totally imperative to be like uh, I don't know how to put it. I don't want to say not in great football shape but you don't want to push yourself too much too early you know because if you have a trainer you're gonna do what they tell you but if you just listen to yourself yeah uh, it's like oh man my, my back right, I'm right. today <laughs> so that's kind of the way I look at it I think there's people that are built like that, you know? Yeah, it, it, it does get tough, though. Luckily enough, I have a couple guys at the gym that I work out kind of with. and uh, So at least they, I, they have them there to push me and spot me or whatever. But as soon as there's something not feeling good, I'm done. Yeah, right. I'm, right, I'm, right. I don't have to worry about, you know, disappointing people or not doing what I'm told. So exactly kind of the way I roll. That's interesting. It's cool to hear, to be honest. It's different than like, like I've asked some people that question and kind of it, it's interesting for me now to learn like what people do from you know, in this time that no one really talks about. And that's an interesting way of doing it, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I know my first year I was like, shoot, I started working out real hard at this time of the year. And then by the time it came time for OTAs and going back, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, like I'm worn out. Fried, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But this year, the past two years, I went into OTAs feeling really good. And then you get into their program. And I, when I was in Denver this past OTAs, it went really well because the trainers or their, their guys there do a really good job. I mean, if our workouts were two hours, We'd spend the first hour doing corrective exercises, doing muscle activation to get your body right. And then the last like maybe 30 minutes was actual lifting. That's cool. Yeah, I never did anything like that, yeah. but that was really good stuff. That made everybody feel good. Understand we be Rock Kiki Sipping DP To the TV Look greedy uh -huh. Little kids see me Way out in DC With a Z3 Chrome BBs They wanna be I love like being on the field With my guys Making them better And like what And like, motivating them Like that's what I love So I think I want to use Like I'm making those videos I don't know if you've seen the videos On like Twitter and Instagram That like are blowing up And I think this podcast Is gonna blow up And use this platform To train NFL receivers I think Like on, on the skills right. Not necessarily like I don't know enough about the strength and conditioning background, but like I think I'm an expert in wide receiver play, and like I want to like just be able to develop them in the off season on that. And I think it that, so that's why like I'm so interested in what everyone's routines are to try and get a feel for like what guys do. And I don't like you tell me, do you think is there like a need? I don't feel like there's not a lot of guys really coaching skills in the off season. Yeah, and you know what? I, the one thing I'll say about coaching skills, and I, I know receivers got a ton of stuff. You got to really understand your steps, understand right. how to break, and all that. I just know that my first couple of years in the league, and even at Rutgers, there there's not a huge there's not a huge amount of guys, and they don't do a great job of really hammering home the. I don't want to say the fundamentals, but yeah, everybody says that you got to know the fundamentals. You know it's the more like how to do the fundamentals to me. Is like right. people say things like this is what you have to do to be a good receiver. But like you got to give the kids like something very very specific that they can do and then act on. Is, is how I see it. That's right. 
And that's why the guy who I played under uh, at Denver this past year, Reggie Herring, he was, he is, the, he's like the man with fundamentals. And I remember usually with OTAs, I think it's the second portion of OTAs, you, you get to lift and then you get to do some on-field stuff with your coaches. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think it's like a every, I think it's like four times a week you get like an hour or something like that. Yeah. I, I don't know what the CBA says, but it's right. something like that. And every other place I've ever been, it's just kind of like, okay, we're going to just like kind of go over the drills we do. And then we're going to go over like as like a defense against the barrels showing what we're supposed mm-hmm. to do. And I remember this past off season with him, I had to really like, you had to mentally prepare uh, yeah. to go out there with him because he put, he put us through the drills and I, you know, I, I hated him for it, but it was one of those things we're looking back at it now, even today, if I went and I did football drills, I'd be better at football drills today. And we're almost a year removed from that because, and it was just such a grind and he, and he was always on us and screaming, yelling, but you know what? It, it got me to the point where I understood like, this is, this is how you got to play. This right. You, exactly. This, 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 this is how you move. prepare. Right. And I think he would, he did That's a really, really, cool. really good job. Yeah. That's really cool to hear. This is a forward progress interruption sponsored by Phenom Elite and the Sideline Hustle Podcast. Fellow Americans, it is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and recollection of history in the making during our generation. Allow me to reintroduce myself. This is your host, Drew Lieberman. I've slept on a couch for three out of my five working years. I'm willing to do that again to make this podcast turn into a big media company and and kind of live that dream out because there's no other side for me. Like everything's been done just by us hustling. We're literally recording a podcast on a couch I bought from Bob. (laughs) Now, back to our regular schedule program. What up, what up? I just want to use these short forward progress segments to provide you guys with any news about the Sideline Hustle, update everybody on any progress or business developments that we may have made, and preview some upcoming content. Um, So today, I just want to put you guys on the lookout for Forward Progress Episode 2, which will come out this Thursday and features a one-on-one interview with Anthony Chaffee. He describes what it's like getting cut from the NFL and shares his journey that has recently led him to the Ottawa Red Blacks of the CFL. Additionally, Forward Progress Episode 3 will be released next week and features the full one-on-one interview with Derek Hagan, who is one of Arizona State's best all-time wide receivers, a nine-year NFL veteran, a TV personality, an entrepreneur, and most recently, an all offensive analyst coach back at his alma mater. So he has quite a bit to share and it really is an awesome conversation. So so be on the lookout for that. Now on to some recruiting talk with Derek and Coach Friedgen. You know, I wasn't heavily recruited coming out of high school. Uh, you know, I was I think I was a two-star recruit out of Palmdale, California. So uh, I only had three scholarship offers, Fresno State, UNLV, and uh, Arizona State. You know, that was my only mm-hmm. Pac-12 offer. Uh, you know, USC and UCLA, they said I wasn't good enough to uh, play wide receiver at their school. So I was like, OK, mm-hmm. I was like, all right, you know, and I had originally committed to uh, UNLV and, you know, end up, you know, Pac-12 when Arizona State came around. You know, obviously uh, Ron English, who's now the uh, defensive, I think the DB coach for uh, Florida now, mm-hmm. you know, he gave me that scholarship offer. He's recruiting me as a corner because, you know, at that time they're trying to recruit big corners. And right. I told him I didn't want to play corner. I was like, right. I'm, I'm a receiver. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, he offered me a scholarship. I couldn't pass it up. And, you know, that was great, you know, um, you know, having that opportunity. But, you know, everybody can't get a scholarship. And, and for me, you know, like I said I wasn't heavily recruited. So I tell any any high schooler out there, just just be patient. You know, I wasn't right. like I said I had three scholarship offers. You know, now you see all these kids talking about, oh, 
you know, I'm so thankful for my 28th offer. I'm like, <laughs> really? You're only going to choose one school. So it's right. like, what do you like, need 28 of them for? <laughs> yeah, like I'm thankful for my 29th offer. Like, man. <laughs> so, you know, these kids getting all these offers now, but I would tell those kids that aren't getting that many offers, don't don't pay any attention to that. Just just go out there and do your thing, and, and hopefully somebody's able to spot you. But like I said, I was only a two-star recruit, and, and here I am. Be the love the underdogs on top, and I'm going to shine, homie, until my heart stops. Go ahead and beat me. I'm Raps MVP, and I ain't going nowhere, so you can get to know me. Be the love the underdogs on top, and I'm going to shine, homie, until my heart stops. Go ahead and beat me. I had an objective evaluation and then I had a subject evaluation. This is Ralph Friedgen, former head coach at the University of Maryland. So like on my objective evaluation, for each position, there were there were 10 gradable things. So the, uh, the objective one was height, weight, and speed. It, it was on a five-point scale. So you're talking about a quarterback if he was 6'4 plus. You know, he, he, he was a five. So that was exact. We shouldn't be wrong on that because we can measure that kid. And then you had seven other criteria of, of position play, you know. To me, like with a quarterback, what kind of vision would he have? And so you, every position had a different thing. And, and I always had the position coach rated the guy, the recruiting coach, the um, recruiting coordinator, and then myself. So I'd yeah. rate every kid. So then we'd sit down we in the staff, we'd talk about, here are the grades we got for this kid, you know. But I also did it for subjective stuff. So character, you know, is he a leader? Well, how do you find that out? Well, you if you ver- you look at him in games, does he look like a leader in games? So you got to go to the guidance people. You got to go to the janitor in the school. You got to go to the coach. You know, you got to talk to all these different people to find out. You know, what kind of kid is this? You know, and I'd have questions that the coaches carried with them that I wanted answers because when we had a recruiting meeting, that might come up in the recruiting meeting. Well, what do you know about this kid's um, social life? What's his goals in life? You know. Who said this? I mean, I want to know all of that. To me, that they were as important as how good a player he was. Now, you know, I'll give you an example. I had Joe Hamilton, who, you know, has been in the National Collegiate Hall of Fame. Joe Hamilton is a former quarterback that Coach Friedgen coached at Georgia Tech from 1996 and 1999. During his senior season in 1999, Hamilton won the Davey O'Brien Award, was named a first-team All-American, and finished as the Heisman Trophy runner-up behind Wisconsin running back Ron Dane. Joe is about 5'10", 190 pounds at the quarterback position, but ended up being one of the best players that Coach Friedgen ever coached. He was 5'9", so his top score was never very good, Mm -hmm. but his bottom score was real good. So I had a lot of coaches complain about the system because they said, well, you know, if the kid doesn't fit the the top three categories, then he's not going to score good. I said, well, he better make up for those top three categories then. Right. <laughs> you know, because I, I forget what, what our, if I remember correctly, I think 38 was a, a recruitable guy. In Coach Friedgen's recruiting evaluations, he graded each kid with two scores. A top score, which consisted of physical and athletic traits, and a bottom score that consisted of personality and character traits. When you're talking about, just for clarification, the top score was all the athletic qualities? Well, the top score was their physical qualities. Okay. Height, weight, speed. Like Joe Hamilton, okay, he's 5'9". Well, he got a zero, probably, for a quarterback. Yeah, yeah how's a 5'9 got to see? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. he could see. I mean, God, I don't know how he could see. I didn't teach him how to see. He had God ta- talent. I mean, he, you know, when you, you got 6'5 linemen in front of you and he can still see, I mean, I mean, I, I was a quarterback and I'm six foot. 
I felt like I was thrown out of a barrel. And, and they, the linemen weren't as big than when I played. So he could see for some way he could see. So, um, but he could, you know, he could run. He was probably a four seven kid. He wasn't a blazer. Very athletic. Now that athletic and, you know, arm strength, quick release, athleticism, you know, decision making. I mean, all of those things. You had, you have been seven more things that, the best seven things you think you could categorize for that position that you were looking for. And then, and then when you, you put all that together, I think 38, it should, if you had 10 of them, it should be 50, right? Five, the top score should be 50. Right. So if you were, if you're in the 40s, you're pretty damn good. If you probably wouldn't recruit him if he was under a 38. Now, then now I go to the character issue and then the potential, you know, and, and so I would have still, I'd have 10 things that you look for in character, you know, uh, is, is he selfish? Is he unselfish? You know, uh, is he unselfish? And you'd be at five, one to zero to five on that. Try to find that out. Is he, is he a leader? You know, is, you know, what kind of, um, team, teammate is he? All of those types of things I was looking for. And then we try to get a, you know, motive, how motivated is, you know, how good a student is he, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we'd look at the kind of a student he is. And then, you know, to me, if he, he wasn't qualified, then we, we had a rating for that too. Uh, can we get him in school? Is he going to be a, what we call an academic exception? Uh, that yeah. means we, we could, we could get him, but he was going to count. We only had 13 kids who we could, who didn't meet Maryland standards to get in school. So, oh, you know, wow. I had, a, I, yeah, I had to find 12 more kids that could get in automatically. So it wasn't like Rutgers, if, you know, if they qualified, they were in. It wasn't like that at Maryland. So that made things a little harder. People don't know that, you know. I, I actually didn't know that. That's unbelievable. And I, I, I finally got a change. They gave me an average of 13 over three years because I said to them after my first year, I said, hell, I, I, you know, I got 11 kids that are going to be IAs, which are uh, independent uh, exceptions or something like that. And I yeah. said, uh, I got six scholarships left and, and four of the six are going to be IAs again. So I can't take all of them. Or how, how am I going to do that? So what they did was, okay, if I, if I took 14 in, in year one, then I, I could make it up for in year two if I took 12. You follow what I'm saying? So, but by the end of the three years, I had to have at least an average of 13 all the way across. They wanted to have the, the football team, the recruiting class, close to a thousand on the SATs and um, close to a B average, you know, high 2.8 somewhere there. So if you got a good player and he was like 1400, you know, you really tried to get that guy because he helped a lot of those, right. those other guys get in school. That's it's an interesting factor in recruiting that I, I feel like someone wouldn't necessarily automatically think that Maryland had standards like that for for football recruiting and that's a lot different than what we they didn't used to i mean when i went to school they didn't do that when i was there in the 80s they didn't do that but since Len bias yeah they do that the other thing is you know uh where they go to school you know what is i mean our educational system is really not very good right now some of these kids i mean it's i mean i would go in those schools and you know, I, I remember after one recruiting season, they asked me and asked the Frank Beamer and Al Groh and, and all the area coaches, you know, about to talk about the recruiting class. And I got up and I said, you know, no child left behind. I said, I've seen plenty of them left behind about five blocks from the White House. Yeah, you know? wow. so, yeah. so my wife says to me, why would you make that statement? Because it's in the Washington Post. You know? 
just because yeah, it's true. Said, There's nobody in class. These guys are running around the halls. The gangs are running everything. I said, and then, then they want me to take this kid, and he's, now all of a sudden he's got to do college work, you know? Mm -hmm. I said, uh, so you, you got to kind of know those guys' backgrounds, too. Don't save her. She don't want to be saved. Don't save her. She don't want to be saved. Don't save her. She don't want to be saved. Don't save her. She don't want to be saved. No role models, and I'm here right now. No role models to speak up. Searching through my memory. My memory, I couldn't find one. Last night, I was getting my feet rubbed. You know, when Mac Brown was at Texas, you know, pretty much they could, they used to finish recruiting in, at the, after the junior year. They were fooled up. They were like a year ahead. So I think they were taking, I think they were taking a lot of kids too early because, you know, sometimes when that kid gets that scholarship and he's a junior, then he don't play his senior year. Yeah. You know? So therefore, this, those intangibles, you know, he's never going to fulfill his, you know, abilities because he doesn't have the desire or, He's sitting back and wrestling. I used to see it in pro football when the guy signs a second contract. You know, you better if you're going to give that guy a second contract, you better hope he's still motivated to play like he's been playing. Because right. a lot of times they get that second contract and they're good for life, and they stop playing. And you know, so yeah, that's, and that's such a real thing. It happens in every sport too. Yeah. You know? So I mean, it's very similar. So you you want to find those kids that you know that are, and you know what, you you really. It's easier to love those kids, too. Yeah. Not that I didn't love all my kids, but, I mean, a guy like Torrey Smith, you know, played for me, and here he is, and, you know, he breaks his leg his senior year. He's got no scholarships. Tom Bratton takes me to see him, and I find out that his his mom and his grandmother are raising seven kids, and Torrey's the oldest. So his mom works at night, so Torrey's got to get up, make everybody breakfast, get everybody to school all different schools, put them on the buses, and then have a good academic average, you know. And then he was he was playing quarterback, and I saw if he could run, and I went in, and I offered him a scholarship. And, uh, you know, he, he was like, he was, I was the only guy to offer him a scholarship. I said, you're going to play wide receiver. And then Virginia Tech came in, Virginia, and all, everybody yeah. came in right Virginia. after I offered him. Yeah. And he said, no, I'm going to Maryland because Coach Fried didn't offer me first, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so, I mean, so I have an unbelievable relationship with that kid today. I mean, I mean he called me up uh, about uh, four years ago, and my wife answered the phone, and she said, you want to talk to the big guy? And he goes, no, I actually want to talk to you. He says, I, I proposed to my, my girl. We're getting married. He says, I don't know anything about doing a wedding. You know, could you help me? So Gloria was on the phone with him for uh, two hours and with his fiance. You know, wow. you know, but he felt good enough to be able to call us. So I mean, it's I mean, it, you can't tell me those that his intangibles haven't changed his life because you know, and and here's a guy that probably had every reason not to do well, and and yet his mother, even though she had all these things she had to deal with, did a probably pretty good job of raising her. She's a little firebug herself, but uh, you know, it's uh, and then he lost his brother in a. In a the motorcycle accident when he was playing pro ball and that that you know that was a big impact on him so but you know I, there's a lot of kids like that yeah. in fact I, I have more admiration for kids that have so many i don't know hard life you know that right. that, that have the motivation to to be successful and and are successful you know where so many others in their same situation never have that 
desire to, they just fall into all kinds of you know their environment and it's mm-hmm. uh, you know it's it's just amazing that's that those kids do well you know it really yeah. is That's all we've got for episode number 19 of the Sideline Hustle podcast. Thank you so much for joining us and for giving us your time. It's great to be back on the podcast with you guys. Uh, Coming up are a couple of one-on-one forward progress interviews, like I mentioned earlier. Anthony Chaffee's interview will be released this week, and Derek Hagan will be coming up next week. Uh, We are releasing at least one new Teach Tape video on Instagram and Twitter every single day. Uh, So make sure you follow us at Sideline Hustle on both platforms to learn about the game of football. And of course, to stay up to date with everything that we're doing, all of our announcements and direct communication really can can be found and is happening on those two platforms. Uh, the Instagram story is also being used to document the athletes we're training and the techniques that we're teaching in our wide receiver and quarterback training sessions all summer long. We're offering skills training and film study throughout New Jersey and New York City. So hit us up for more details on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or find all of our contact info at thesidelinehustle.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. I can't wait to be back here. Here again soon. Peace. Back. Back.